on this episode of the 2x e-commerce podcast show, I'm going to be talking to the founder of Love With Food, their fast growth subscription e-commerce business based in Silicon Valley that sells subscriptions to organic snack boxes to thousands of customers across the US, while at the same time is a market research platform for organic food brands. Do stay tuned. Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show, where we interview founders of fast-growing seven- and eight-figure e-commerce businesses and e-commerce experts. They'll tell their stories, share how they 2X their businesses, and inspire you to take action in your own online retail business today. And now, here he is, the man in the mix, Kunle Campbell. Ai Wee Ong is the founder and CEO of the subscription e-commerce snack business. Most of our US listeners will have heard of. It's called Love With Food. For as low as $10 a month, Love With Food provides organic or all-natural snack boxes on a monthly subscription basis. These boxes tend to be packed with hard-to-find snacks that are typically not in your grocery stores. So it's it's more like a discovery engine that helps health conscious customers find new healthy snacks. Think about it like a birch box for organic snacks. Lovely Food is a fast growth e-commerce business and the sort of venture I love to talk about in, in, in on 2x e-commerce. They 6x revenue in the first year of business and then 2x revenue in the second year of business and and now in the third year of business they're set to 2x revenue again. We'll talk about revenue later. Without further ado, I will like to welcome to the show, Aiwi Ong. A pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome to the show. Could you take a minute or two to tell our listeners a bit about yourself? Well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show, uh, Kunle. Uh, it's a pleasure to share my story. Uh, my background is uh, I'm a financial software engineer for probably about 10 years. I was originally born and raised in Singapore and I was working there as a financial software engineer and a job opportunity came up in the US and I took it, you know, and I always wanted to explore um, life in a different country to see what's the difference. As you know, Singapore is really tiny mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and I took the opportunity, I took the leap of faith and decided to take the opportunity in the US that was 16 years ago, yeah. and uh, and uh, that's how I came to this country. And I, I stayed on as a financial software engineer for you know for the next uh, eight years. And uh, you know, I decided that counting other people's money is really not my passion <laughs> in life. Right. Yes. <laughs> when you combine finance and computer science together, is not um, it's not very fun. Right. So I decided to take a break uh, in my career. I went backpacking for a year, uh, went to 20 different countries. And then when I decided to come back to the U.S., I didn't know what I want to do. And I decided to help a friend at Farmer's Market to sell food for her since I was, you know, jobless, bumping around, mm-hmm. not doing anything. And that's when I realized that the food industry in the U.S., it's very antiquated. A lot mm-hmm. of food companies are having a hard time looking for shelf space or getting into mainstream grocery stores. So if a company can't get into a store, they basically have very limited choices in terms of reaching out to consumers directly. Mm-hmm. So I saw that as a problem and I love to eat. <laughs> and for me, that is a big discovery issue for me who love to eat. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, with having my technology background, I should be able to use my uh, technology skills to build something to help solve this big problem in the food industry. Mm-hmm. That's why I started Love With Food. Okay. Could we track back? Fascinating story. I'm 16 years moving to the U.S., um, working as a software engineer for eight years and then backpacking and then sort of discovering the passion for food, finding that gap. Okay, from what I gather, you're in California at the moment, if, if yes. that's correct. Okay, so have you been in California all your life? Well, sorry, all, all your life in the US or um, have you sort of moved? 
No, I moved around because when when I first came to the U.S., I took a job with Accenture, so I I was basically a consultant. Mm -hmm. And you know, being a consultant's lifestyle, you actually will travel to where the client is. Mm -hmm. So because I have no family here, so I was willing to live close to the client. So I've lived in Washington D.C. I've lived in Los Angeles, uh, Orange County, Las Vegas, Mm -hmm. Detroit. And now I'm in Silicon Valley. So I've lived in many, many different places over the last uh, 16 years that I've been in the U.S. And now I finally can call Silicon Valley my home. Fantastic. So prior to being an entrepreneur, did you, how long have, had you lived in Silicon Valley? Probably eight years. Yes. And, yeah. and did, did kind of like the entrepreneurial spirit of um, Silicon Valley come on you or did it sort of did you sort was was the energy and the culture the entrepreneurship culture around you did that influence you to becoming an entrepreneur um i would say a little you know it played a part Mm. um it's hard not to be influenced by the uh, silicon valley entrepreneurial spirit kool-aid here Uh, but i would say majority of my decision is probably looking for a change in my career. Mm. Um, I was really happy being a consultant for, you know, the first decade of my career. Mm. And for me, change is important. I can't, I don't have the personality to do the same thing again and again for 40, 50 years of my career. And I just felt like whatever I was doing, it's, it pays the bill. The the salary was very comfortable, Mm. but I just didn't feel that it was fulfilling enough for me or making a difference in the world. That's why I took the leap of faith to explore the um, entrepreneurial journey. Brilliant, brilliant. And I also checked on your LinkedIn profile, your attended Warwick University and Warwick Business School in Mm -hmm. in Coventry. Um, What was your experience like there? This goes back to when I was consulting, which I was traveling a lot. I basically would leave my home Monday morning, yeah. take a flight to where the client is, okay. work there till you, either Thursday or Friday and I'll fly home. So I spend a lot of time on the plane and in hotels. Mm-hmm. I, I'm the kind of person who loves to learn. I can't just do nothing when I'm on the plane <laughs> or in the hotel. And at that time, that was, I would say that was like 2003 when I started exploring other things that I wanted to learn, more business savvy. Or I'm a computer science engineer by training. Mm. And when it comes to business-wise, I might not be as savvy or might not know the industry as well. Mm-hmm. So I started to look around like, oh, well, maybe I should do MBA while I'm traveling. It happens that distance learning is, is something very popular in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, it, it wasn't popular here in the U.S. And then I applied to Warwick. I got accepted and was basically a distance learning program, which was really good. It mm-hmm. fits my schedule. Mm-hmm. The expectation is I have to be in Warwick uh, twice a year, uh, which is good because, mm-hmm. it, you know, I, I could take a break from work, yeah. <laughs> you know, have a chance to go back to college life. Absolutely. So it played. So the distance learning program was about three years, mm-hmm. and uh, I made a lot of great friends from all over the world. Mm-hmm. It fits my schedule perfectly. Yeah, I, I asked you because two things. One, um, I'm a Warwick University alumni. I studied e-business management in Warwick Manufacturing Group. Oh, uh, back, back in 2004. That's what actually started my journey into digital marketing. And my sister actually did the exact thing. She's actually doing um, a, a distance learning work, you know, business school MBA. So it's just interesting um, to know you're a, for, you're, you're a fellow Warwick um, University alumni. Good stuff. I saw a brief stint with regards to Edgy Lab. Could you tell us just a bit about Edgy Lab, please? That is just a consulting firm that I started okay. after I, I came back um, from backpacking. Okay. I didn't know what I want to do. Um, so I decided just to do consulting while I figure out what I really want to do. Okay. Um, so Edulabs was basically a tech consulting gig company that I was able to apply my past technology and consulting skills to help other companies. 
it was great. You know, I met different people and, and it was also an option whether I want to continue to do consulting or mm. not. Um, so, th- so it was, it's a great segue from being a full-time consultant to part-time consultant. And mm. then from there, I decided, you know, I wanted to do, I wanted to stop consulting and launch a startup. Yeah, so it's from consultant to entrepreneur. With Lost My Food, founded in 2011, I came across your Crunchbase profile. And um, it's Love With Food on Crunchbase. is described as a marketing and market research platform for CPG food brands. Could you expand upon this, please? Because um, from a customer standpoint, it looks more like a subscription box business. Yes, from a customer standpoint, Love With Food is a discovery platform mm-hmm. to discover healthy alternatives, uh, especially targeting the health-conscious crowd. But for food companies, our value proposition is instead of giving out samples away at, let's say, Tesco, there is a much smarter way to give out samples to a very targeted group of audience. Mm-hmm. So what we are reinventing the whole sampling game in the CPG space. Mm. And, um, and food companies love it because, you know, when you, let's say when you're walking in Tesco and people give you a sample, how do they know that you're the right target audience? Mm. Mm. They don't, right? Mm. So using our subscription service, we're able to help food companies deliver their samples right into the doors mm-hmm. of a very targeted group of foodies. And two, we're also collecting consumer insights for these food companies mm. because after someone, after our customers taste the product, they'll come back to our website to give feedback and then we, give, we actually compile the data and give it back to the food company. So we're basically combining the old school way of sampling and focus group and just make it better and, uh, and better, uh, better and at a larger scale. Very, very good point. I have two questions. Um, one has got to do with the kind of data you send back to CPG. What are the data points should a brand expect to, to get from Love With Food? What you see, if you're not a member, what you see is just reviews of the product. Mm. Uh, but if you're a member, you'll see a more comprehensive survey. Questions are actually provided by the food companies. Mm. We will work with them to come up with the questions that the qualitative and the quantitative questions that would be right to uh, achieve their goals of what they want to find out. And the set of questions are only shown to people who have received the product mm. so that we know the data that we're collecting are actually real because mm. someone actually tasted the product. Mm-hmm. And food companies use these decisions to better understand what consumers like, mm-hmm. what consumers dislike, and they use the data to either improve on their product or improve on their marketing message. Fantastic. And do you pay brands for the samples or um, do they give Love With Food for free? Uh, for free. For f- wow. Most of the time it's for free. Wow. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> So, so you, your your supply chain is pretty much free. Wow, that's uh, no. I mean, we still pay for shipping and the labor. <laughs> shipping in the US is expensive. Your margins are amazing. Okay, that that is fantastic. That's great stuff. And what kind of brands are are you working with? Um, are you seeing the fast the the hugest interest, amount of interest, you know, coming in, approaching you and working at the same time with your customers? First of all, every product that we select has to be all natural. It has to be free of junk. And what we consider junk would be artificial coloring, artificial flavoring, trans fat, um, MSG, mm. uh, hydrogenated fats. So the, we do read the ingredients really carefully to make sure that it fits our criteria. So that's one. And two, because we're in the business of delivering surprise and delight every month, the product has to be either brand new on the market or a product that has not had um, nationwide distribution. For example, you know, we want to send you things that you haven't seen before. You know, there's no point if we sent you a little pack of uh, Nutella. Mm-hmm. That's very common, right? That's it's <laughs> <Yes>. like... <laughs> And the consumers are, why am I paying for this? I can just walk down the street to get it myself. Exactly. Uh, The companies that we work with have to, one, meet 
our curation criteria in terms of health conscious criteria. Mm-hmm. And two, it has to be a product that uh, most consumers have not seen before. Fantastic. Good stuff. Good stuff. Okay, let's go into um, raising capital. Um, but, but before we talk about raising capital, what was revenue? You, you were founded in 2011. Um, yep. What was revenue in, in 2012, like your first year of business? Well, first year we were trying to figure things out. Uh, first year of business was about 250000 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then in 2013, what was the second? 2013, uh, it was uh, about $1.7 All right. Six times, if my math's right. And then in 2014? Uh, that's about $3.2 million. Okay, like 2x. And then 2015, what, what are you expected to... Uh, this year, we're targeted to make about $6 million. Fantastic. So it's, it's doubling again. So fas- fascinating business. Okay, so um, Love With Food on Crunchbase, um, you've raised £2.1 million. Not bad at all for the kind of revenue you're doing at the moment in three rounds from 11 investors. I actually learned that you pitched to 75 investors. To- yes. Could you could you please? How did you manage to speak to seventy five investors? And was it not tiring? Oh, oh yes! <laughs> Fundraising is a game between myself and myself. <laughs> it's a competition between me and my uh, perseverance. Mm. That's what I tell people. Mm. The first round of funding came from five hundred startups. I was not actively seeking an investor because. My decision was to bootstrap the company. Mm. I'm a solo founder mm-hmm. and I know, I'm not sure what it is, what's like in the UK, but in the US it's known that if you're a solo founder, the chances of you being funded is very slim, which I can totally understand because it's it's, it's really hard journey for an entrepreneur to mm-hmm. do it alone or by herself. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, given that I have no track record, it's normal for investors to question whether I can do it all by myself. Mm. So, but the opportunity to pitch to 500 came up and... They're they're an accelerator program for those of our listeners that don't know. Yeah, yeah. 500 is an accelerator program. um, And that was back in um, late 2011. Uh, A friend of mine introduced me to the partners at 500. And at that time... I was working on Love With Food at home in my pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> I was dealing with coding the website in Ruby on Rails. I was talking to food companies. I was building our social media following. I was doing customer support okay. let's, uh, phone let's calls. Let's track back a little, little, little bit, please. Okay, so in 2011, before you'd already built the website, how many customers had you had? Very few, maybe less than 50 at that time, I just launched okay. um, maybe about, I would say less than 100 customers. At that time, you know, I was just doing it, just testing the waters to mm. see how far I can Validating your idea. Yes, yes. And, and, and the thing with Silicon Valley, if they don't fund ideas anymore mm. because the, it is so easy to launch a company right now with all this new technology, mm. correct? You don't. Sometimes it's, it's so easy to build a, a simple landing page without knowing a line of code. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, I needed to build something to show 500 startups. So when the opportunity came, I was I pitched to them. And at that time, uh, I already got about 60,000 fans on Facebook by myself. <laughs> and, Organically or did you pay for it? Um, mostly organically, but I also oh. paid. But at that time, you have to remember, 2011, Facebook was like sure. the wild west. You can do anything <laughs> you want. <laughs> and how many Facebook fans are you up to now? About 250,000. Not bad. <laughs> yeah. And I pitched to them. I'm like, okay, we got food companies as customers. We have all these consumers as customers. We have so many followings uh, on Facebook. And they ask me, how big is your team? I'm like, it's just me. Hmm. Uh, just me. I'm I just, I'm, I'm doing all of this by myself. And, and they were shocked. They were like, how can one person do all this by, by yourself? And how, how on earth did, did an engineer manage to get 60,000 fans on Facebook? <laughs> <laughs> and, and my response is, you, you know, if you fund me, I'll teach you how. <laughs> and that's how I got my first funding. <laughs> well, how did you get 60,000 fans on Facebook? <laughs> um, 
you know, it, at that time, as I said, you can literally do anything on Facebook. <laughs> you know true 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 yeah okay and without getting into detail um what i have two two questions with regards to the 500 startups one has got to do with i are they not biased to tech companies you know correct me if i'm wrong so what was your experience with um with with pitching to them initially in e-commerce and a food business and what's their initial reaction did they was there a bit of rejection or anxiety initially and did you manage to convince them that look, um, this this is this has high growth potential, or were they sold to the idea from the first pitch? I think uh, what I appreciate about Five Hundred is they can see the goal in the midst of noise. Yeah. The food industry at that time, you have to remember, in twenty eleven, food industry is very unsexy. Mm. Um, a lot of investors are staying away from the food industry. So it was it was hard. I have to say it was hard. But that's why I appreciate 500 where they could see opportunities where a lot a lot of people might miss. Mm. Um, one, they they understand that everyone eats. Food is a big industry. If you do it right, it is a huge opportunity. Mm. At the same time, I mean, having said that, you know, a lot of people remember what happened to Wet Van couple of food startups started and filled. There hasn't been a winner in the food space. That's why a lot of investors are hesitant to invest in the food space. Mm-hmm. But 500 didn't let the historical data affect the d- decision in investing in liquid food. They see opportunity. And and I, I think they were really curious, like, how can a solo founder do so much? They were like, if we fund you, we're, we're curious what, you, what else you can do. <laughs> I'm very uh, grateful to their first investment because it actually it just snowballed into what Love With Food is today. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, being female in Silicon Valley, um, what were your challenges initially? What did you have to face? Is, is, are they, uh, is Silicon Valley quite embracive um, to, to, to female entrepreneurs? Um, yeah, most of our listeners would, would like to, to, to know, especially our female listeners. Um. You will stand out. Mm. I, I'm not going to deny that because for me, I'm I'm really used to it. You know that one. I went I went to computer science school, mm-hmm. which is more guys than than female. Mm. When I did my MBA at Warwick, I had to share a house with twelve other men. I was the only girl. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so I'm I'm really used to being. Uh, one of the roses among the thorns, um, or the thorn among the roses. Um, <laughs> no, no, the first way. <laughs> first yeah, so yeah, so so I'm I'm used to it. Um, some female might not be used to that kind of environment, uh, and may feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But for me, is I'm comfortable in that setting because that is what I. Um, I'm familiar with even when I took a corporate job as a consultant, you know, when I manage an entire team, it'll be a full of men, you know, and, and a woman managing a, a team of men that that's unusual, but, but I, I'm comfortable doing that. So I would say because you stand out to look at it as an advantage and not a disadvantage yeah. because, because you stand out, investors are really, a curious, like, wow, in the room for a man, you're the only woman. I should talk to you, you know, because <laughs> you had the confidence to to be different. Um, and I basically have used that as one of the plus points of being a female founder. It's a strength, really. It's a strength. I also noticed on your website that you're, you're a member of um, some some female. You actually did volunteer on, um, on with some female entrepreneur groups in, in Silicon Valley. Um, great blog, by the way. Um, I've been reading your blog, which is really, really nice. Oh, thank you. I'll share it in the show notes. Um, in the show notes when um, when uh, when this is published. Okay, so um, what was your core value proposition in your pitch deck to investors? Um, my core value in the very right in the very beginning is Lovely Food is a um, it's a marketing platform for CPG companies. Mm-hmm. That has always been my um, pitch. The last three years, three and a half years of running the business, that, that has been always my end goal. 
and how we do this is build a great discovery platform for consumers. And that's a value proposition. I mean, if you look at the industry today, CPG companies are trying to market to the millennials and they don't know how. Mm -hmm. And it's not about the traditional way of marketing where I'll put a coupon in the Sunday papers or, (laughs) you know, I'll put a coupon in a mobile app in a mobile app somewhere or TV commercial, right? Uh, mm-hmm. the, the new generation of consumers don't resonate with the traditional way of marketing or advertising. Mm-hmm. The new consumers want a more direct relationship with the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to be able to make their own decision whether they want to trust the brand or not, mm-hmm. you know, based on the conversation. It's not based on how many times I've seen your ad mm-hmm. on TV. And I see this as an opportunity, as a as local food is a great way to reinvent that relationship between a consumer and the food company mm-hmm. or any CPG companies. So our value proposition in the very, very beginning for, it ha- has always been local food. It will be the largest direct-to-consumer channel for CPG companies to market to a very targeted group of audience. No, it resonates. I really, really, really resonate with what you said because, um, first of all, it's disruptive. It, it changes the entire game of sampling first. And then the second thing is the fact that you have a niche kind of consumer who, you know, like certain kinds of food, health conscious food, voting with their money to try stuff out and give feedback. And then what else do, do, do the companies want, the CPG brands want? They want those kind of qualified um, customers for feedback to improve and iterate or pivot. Um, so, and yes, and their, their journey that actually starts with love with food, a brand they trust, and then they pivot or they, they start to, to explore new brands through love with food. So, so it's an excellent platform all the way around. Do you by any chance have a copy of your pitch deck um, that you, that got your investment um, that you can share with the listeners? Oh, sorry. I can't share that. No worries. No worries. No, no worries. I was just trying my luck there. Okay. Can you explain how you managed to validate the idea? So you, I, I remember you, you said earlier on that um, you obviously you were working on your own, got 60,000 likes, coded in Ruby on Rails. Um how did you manage to validate? How did you get those first 200 or first 100 customers convinced you that you were onto something? Um, I think the greatest validation is someone who is willing to take out a credit card and enter into your system so that they're telling you, hey, charge me, here's my card. Mm-hmm. I think that's the best validation. I would call email a bunch of bloggers and explain to them, hey, I'm the founder of Live With Food. This is what I'm doing. Can I send you a box for your review if you like it? Bloggers love that. They feel like, yeah, they are the ones that are telling their readers what's the newest and latest companies out there. And at that time, I have no marketing dollars. I was willing to send them a free box that, and that was it. And I gave myself a goal, right? Every month, we need to have at least 20 to 30 bloggers to write about local food. Mm-hmm. At that time, I wasn't picky about how big or small their readership is. Mm-hmm. As long as someone was willing to write mm-hmm. and link back to local food, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm already more than happy. Because, you know, a link back is always it's good as your juice. Mm-hmm. Bloggers are the one that actually kickstart the company. Have you come across this website called mysubscriptionaddiction.com? Yes. Uh, I tried to get them on the show. It's it's run by a lady. It's a Liz, isn't it? It's a huge website um, for people into subscription boxes and who are fascinated with what new subscription boxes, you know, are, are coming out there. Did, did that help in your journey with, with Love With Food? Yeah, and uh, she she's a fan of uh, Love With Food for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sometimes work with her directly to create special promotion just for her. Mm-hmm. For example, you know, like if, if there's a special Christmas promotion mm-hmm. and it's just exclusive for her and it works out well for both of us. Mm-hmm. Okay, fantastic. I read in your blog and I stumbled on a statement you made about your education i.e. not being an MIT Stanford grad and its impact in the engine and VC space. Can you please expand on that, please? I believe investors have a set of checklists they want to see in an entrepreneur, especially if an entrepreneur has no track record of running past startups before. Mm -hmm. 
But having said that, not everyone is like that. But I would say some people will feel more comfortable if they know that the entrepreneur has gone to a good school in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Because they they know, okay, you have, let's say you've gone to MIT. Okay, that means you're smart. You know, if you're going to Stanford, that means you're smart. Or you have a good network of people helping you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I have none of those. I went to the National University of Singapore. <laughs> uh, so I basically, I, I have no alumni network here. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean I don't know a lot of startup founders, you know. This is Silicon Valley. You can build a network just by going to events. Mm-hmm. I would say some investors probably look at your education background to give that comfort feeling that, yeah, you have gone to a school that I'm familiar with. Mm-hmm. Hence, you are, you know, you're smart or you're yeah, at least some some form of uh, being able to c- accomplish something academic academically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, just that proof. Yeah, because um, in the UK, although not in, in well, the... Well, in other spaces like in law, the best law firms, the the best city firms, um, working in the city will they'll first select you know the the, the Oxbridge and you know, the Cambridge and Oxford University come and get them first the, the the real red brick universities, and then every other thing, every other kind of university is 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 more supplementary really. So so I, I do understand and um, see see that point of view in Silicon yeah. Valley. Okay. But not not every investor is like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's one of them actually just said, you know, I didn't go to Stanford. I couldn't raise money. I'm wow. like, really? Uh, it hurts. I felt wow. discriminated. But, you know, but yet I, I went about raising money from other investors who believe in me and my vision, my passion. Mm-hmm. That trumps my educational background. Okay. In in terms of the networking, did you ever get on stage at some time, at some point? Not necessarily pitching love with food, but just getting on stage and, you know, expressing your ideas for exposure? Or were you just one-on-one with people and, you know, just meeting people through people? It was more of meeting people to people. Um, I used this platform called Angels List. Angels List was really powerful. I met a lot of new investors online. And and started talking. If they're not here in Silicon Valley, we'll talk on the phone and continue give give updates. And um and so uh, Angels List has actually opened up doors for me in terms of getting wow. investors. Yeah. Okay. So you you recommend it as a platform for aspiring entrepreneurs. Yes. Okay. Yes. Because um, I read another blog post. I've been hanging out on your blog for for way too long, and you said um, love with food was trending on Angel List, and um, it really was a game changer for you. So, what advice do you have for our listeners who want to sort of build out their Angel List profile? How did you get it trending? <laughs> <laughs> I basically um, got all my friends to follow Love With Food awesome. um, on Angel's List. That's one. And then um, at that time, there were already a couple of investors who are willing to invest and I got them to write really good comments or something nice about Love With Food uh, in the Love With Food profile mm-hmm. and got them to share share Love With Food with their network of mm-hmm. people on Angel's List. Mm-hmm. And then it started trending after that. It's... The timing needs to be right too, you know. It's like I, I will tell my friends, "Can you please do it like right now in the next twelve hours?" Then I'll tell the investors, "Can you write the comment and share it with your followers in the next twelve hours?" Everything uh-huh. has to be has to happen in twelve hours to create that uh, that critical mass. Okay. And yeah, and basically that's just how I've done it. Fantastic. I'm actually on Angel's list now. Um, it's angels to call um, forward slash companies forward slash trending. So I reckon like. Um, an investor or a potential angel or VC will come on here to just the trending and say, okay, what looks interesting to me on a daily basis? And um, if anything sort of stands out that, that you know, take it further, is, is that the case? Or is that the benefit of, of, of trending on angels list? Or do they tend to, to browse and, you know, dig a bit deeper? Um, I'm not sure how investors actually use the, the, um, the trending part, mm-hmm. but definitely when we were trending, I got a lot more investors following Love With Food. Mm-hmm. Um, and the moment they follow Love With Food, I will follow up with a private message and say, hey, do you want to chat more and find out more about Love With Food? Mm-hmm. So so I guess, you know, the trending part is is a way to filter filter out the noise, right? Mm-hmm. And um, giving like 
a, the top 20 list to investors and say, hey, these are the companies that you might want to start with because okay. there are thousands of companies on Angel's list right now. Okay, true, yep. true, true. So are you looking to invest? Are you looking for further investments? Or are you happy with where you are now with the, with the seed investment? <laughs> Uh, no, I'm uh, I'm actually looking for more investment right now. Um, we have gone to a point that we are in the food space, we're the largest right now. Wow. Rep- uh, we're the largest marketing platform and discovery platform. I'm going to raise money to to be even bigger. Oh, are you planning on coming to Europe at some point? Uh, yes, of course. Fantastic. Good stuff. My next question is going to be around the marketing, customer acquisition. How did you acquire your first thousand customers? How do I acquire? Um, so we didn't spend marketing dollars till about a year and a half later, mm-hmm. um, probably sometime in 2013. Wow. So, so the t- 2012 was a year that, you know, it was like, I want to make sure that we get it right. We want to make sure that, you know, our logistics um, operations is able to scale as we scale. So 2012 was focused a lot on making sure the foundation was right mm. and understanding what our customers, who our customers are before we spend marketing dollars. So th- 2013, we realized that who our uh, target audience is. And that's where we uh, we started spending money to acquire that group of target audience. So we started with uh, Facebook ads. Mm. And, and how well did Facebook ads work for you? Oh, uh, it worked really well. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And does it still work as a channel for you, or have you reached critical mass? And, and... Facebook still works, but it's just more expensive now. I mm. think the secret is out. <laughs> it's not. It's not the same as 2012 or 2013. Mm. Um, it has definitely it, it, it definitely is a platform that works, but it has gotten way more expensive than two years ago. Okay. And what about press? There's, there's press, because um, I saw you in the Wall Street Journal um, last year. There was an article in June of last year, just over a year ago. And um, did that help? Does consumer press help with you? Or Yes. Yeah, I mean, all kinds of press helps, uh, whether it's tech related or consumer. Um, it, you know, it gives, it gives new customers validation that, oh, this is, this is a real company. It's not, you know, some fly by night Mm -hmm. company that was just, you know, set up to just collect my credit card and and don't deliver not deliver exactly yeah that trust you know that credibility is there okay so with regards to to customers today um how many customers or subscribers do you have um that is a number i cannot share okay well we we could reverse engineer it if it's about ten dollars a month (laughs) (laughs) come up with just take a zero out of your revenue and yeah we, we we have sort of an idea Okay, and then the other thing is um, home. I'm, I'm on the website now. I could see a home box and I could see an office box. Is the office box a segue into the B two B segment? Um, the office box is is um, actually a uh, big request from companies. Wow. Like our customers, like, hey, you're sending f- all this healthy or fun stuff to my home. Why why don't you send it to office too? And our sweet spot is delivering snacks, right? Whether it's a small box or a big box. And it's a natural growth for us to, mm-hmm. to target office managers and making sure that, you know, office managers will offer the best snacks to the team. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we launched it about two months ago. So that is, that is, um, a, a new revenue channel for us. What's been the uptake like? Uh, it's been great. You know, we, within the first month, we were able to sign at least 15 to 20 corporate customers. Do you need a B2B team to, to reach out to the companies or um, do they, is it inbound? Um, a lot of it's inbound, but I do have a sales team that handles that. Okay. That, that, that's huge because um, I was speaking to a, a hamper business. Well, um, what they found is um, their consumer parts, um, when they started to focus more on business, the consumer part sort of was like 30% of their business and, you know, business to business is 70%. So there's so much potential there. Are customers able to 
purchase foods individually direct from lovewithfood.com or um, must they so let's say i i've sampled a product and i like say uh, a pack of plantain chips just um, off the top of my head i wanted to buy a few more of a particular product can i go back to love with foods and you know and, and then buy actually buy or um, does it stop at the box and the feedback i give um no after you give the feedback you are able to uh, come back to our site to buy more of what you love. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you love the bag of chips so much is uh, is offered in our e-commerce store, and you can basically purchase that at a great discount with free shipping. Awesome, awesome. So there's that direct e-commerce, normal e-commerce, and side by side with subscription. What about your impact? What, what's been the impact of um, coverage on TechCrunch and Mashable? Those two tech platforms. How did TechCrunch sort of help? Did TechCrunch help um, propel the business in any way? I would say tech news creates validation among the tech industry. Uh, investors will be able to, you know, resonate with that more than a regular cons- uh, home consumer. I mean, our home demographic consumers are moms in the Midwest uh, who have two kids. They don't read TechCrunch, <laughs> uh, and but TechCrunch are read by investors. So, in terms of the uh, uh, forefront of in, uh, you know, helping the company raise money, so that creates uh, mm-hmm. validation for the company. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Makes sense. Makes it makes a lot of sense. Okay. Other question I have to do is um, differentiation. Um, obviously, um, there would be loads of copycats eventually when you know something's validated um, to work and with with revenue, um, such as um, love, love love with food. Question I have is how do you differentiate from other subscription businesses out there, um, and um, is it a challenge to, to 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 keep your position? You know, as as a, a market lead in um, food subscription business in in um, the all natural space. Right. So there were a lot of competitors in 20, 2012 and twenty thirteen. I would say the subscription space went through the same pattern as the daily deal space. You know, when Groupon started, Living Social started, there were other niches that followed on. There were like a daily deal for anything under the sky. <laughs> True. And it was the same thing with subscription box. There was like a box for anything under the sky. Mm. And that was very, it makes the space really noisy in 2012 mm. and 2013. Mm. The space is going through the same thing. It goes through, you know, a very noisy phase. And then you start to see companies either shutting down or consolidating. Mm. And that is happening right now in the subscription space. We have acquired three companies in the last three years. um, Because one, you know, the founders just, you know, don't want to continue the business because running a subscription business is not easy. People think that putting stuff in the box is easy. <laughs> it is not easy. Um, and two, the execution is also not easy. You know, constantly, every month, you have to constantly surprise and delight your customers. Mm. Every month, month over month, it's not an easy task either. Mm. So over time, you'll see some companies, they shut down um, to, or they said, you know, they want to, be merged with another company or be sold to another company because some companies have reached a point that they can't grow anymore. So the subscription space is definitely going through that right now, the consolidation phase. Um, I would say this this year is actually less, much, much less noisy than two years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the cream is rising to to the top, really. When when you when you look at it in the industry, there's another subscription box company. I because I um, I've sort of um, followed to called Nature Box. It appears yes. they're similar to Graze.com in the UK. Graze.com comes from the UK, in the sense that they manufacture or, or you know they package. It's their packaged goods rather than um, for brands. Is, is is am I correct or? That is correct. Okay. 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 So, so there's space for both um, brands to thrive, really. Some people want um, that variety and others, you know, would want from a particular um, um, a particular brand, uh, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. So for companies like NatureBox and Grace, they are, they are building a food brand, mm. right? They are competing with 
Nestle's and General Mills of the world. Mm, your research. Um, mm. But for us, we are a consumer insights and marketing platform for food mm. companies. Mm. So, so we're we're definitely playing in a very different field, very mm. different game. Mm. Uh, my goal is not to build a food brand. My goal is to build a great discovery platform for consumers and a great marketing platform for for CPG companies. Spot on. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Clever. Very. Very. Very good. How has boxing and the unboxing experience, the unboxing experience, sorry, impacted on the growth of um, Lovered Food? I I read some. I read another fascinating blog post about um, your cat hests, where you know you put um, you, you put a box in um, in your car. And then you leave it for hours, and if nothing melts, then they pass. It's passed the test, and you could ship it to consumers and be rest assured that um, you know nothing would melt. It like the you don't ship chocolate over summer, and there's yeah. so, so much stuff there with the boxing and testing. But um, where I was trying to get to is like the unboxing experience. Um, there's has does it help with customer acquisition? So internally, we produce sneak peeks video. Mm-hmm. Um, to tease our customers or get them uh, excited about what's uh, coming their way. Our customers love that and the new customers love it too. At least, you know, with the tasting box, which is the smallest box, uh, it has eight different items and we'll show three of them. So it get, gets people excited. The user-generated unboxing content that is on YouTube, it's very very helpful. It's, it's the best word of mouth out there. Mm. Um, I mean, because, you know, initially when I started to see traffic to our site from YouTube and I was really amazed, I'm like, what's happening on YouTube? <laughs> I, I have no idea that our customers were actually doing unboxing experience on YouTube. And, and if you go on YouTube and search Love With Food, there are over 70,000 videos about us. And honest to God, this is like the best word of mouth out there. I mean, our customers talking about good stuff to their audience on YouTube. This is this is this is the best form of advertising. Absolutely. Nothing like word of mouth. What would you say stimulates? So you said you you tease, you create this tease videos um, when you launch a new subscription box to shoot their own videos but um would you say the packaging i also read a, a blog post about how you you changed or actually I, I, I watched a youtube video where you said you changed the box three times and you found this sort of um design of a box that actually really worked well um i think mm-hmm. it was one with the red and the inside as well as the outside um what do you think what, what elements are um so driving people to want to shoot a video and tell everyone about love with food. I think it makes them look cool. It looks, it makes our consumer look cool. Like, Hey, this is what I got in the mail. It's a great surprise. One, uh, one thing people always describe love with food as Christmas every month. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, did you coin that or did they? No, no. The customers coined it. We, we didn't coin it. We're like, wow, Christmas every month. You know, the, the box is red. One, it stands out. It has like a, it does has a happy color, like red, you know, the feeling of, I don't know what I'm getting. It's a gift. It looks, because it looks like a gift box, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, for them to do unboxing, one, it shows how, how happy they are with, with the service. And two, I think it's a way for them to show to their audience, like, this is the latest and greatest food out there mm-hmm. that I'm the first to discover and I want to share it with you. Mm-hmm. And of course, the people who are watching it, I'm like, oh, I want to be cool like you too. So I'm going to sign up. <laughs> <laughs> and which has been more successful, YouTube or Facebook as a word of mouth referral marketing channel? I would say word of mouth. I would say YouTube. Wow. 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 Yeah. Videos speak volumes. Yes. do speak volumes okay um now that we've talked about referral marketing and, and word of mouth what about retention um how do you retain customers how do you ensure you minimize churn because you're pretty much like a SaaS company when when you think about it on the consumer side you need to mm-hmm. to, to to keep the, the the figures up the subscription you know the subscriptions up and reduce churn so how do you sort of sustain customers and retain that relationship and get them to to keep spending on a monthly basis uh we we do a couple of things 
the most dangerous for us is probably a customer in the first three months because you know they mm-hmm. usually customers get hooked after the second or third month um, because the first month we might not we might not meet your expectation but that doesn't mean that we will meet your expectation the second month so in terms of retention you know we will the first box we sell it at forty percent off so that at least if they are not happy with it at least they don't feel like you know it's it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first box, when people sign up for first box, is it's only five ninety nine, mm-hmm. which is equivalent to a cup of Starbucks latte, <laughs> right? Yeah. So that's pretty much almost nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one. And then uh, we do provide special offer to people to upgrade to three months plan. You know, because if you upgrade to three months, you will save more mm-hmm. uh, instead of paying month to month. Okay. And we do send them offers. Say, hey, your month to month customer, why don't you upgrade to three months? Mm-hmm. You know, here's a coupon code to to apply for to get more discount. Which is about thirty dollars, right? The uh, three months is less than thirty. It's oh. probably I think right now it's twenty five okay. or twenty six. And you know, with that, you know, getting people to sign up for a three months plan, uh, it's it helps with retention too. They they go on a three month, and then what happens? Um, you know, once we get people to upgrade to three months, we we pretty much know that they will stay for a long time because people are addicted to it. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's there's a there's a social mission um, to feed America's hungriest kids. Um, it donates one meal for every box um, it sends. Could you just expand a bit more about um, the social mission, please? Uh, yes. So when I started the business, it was very important for me to start a business with a social mission, regardless of what business I start. Mm-hmm. I just feel like uh, after backpacking all over the world, um, I've seen also a lot of poverty, which to me is not acceptable. You know, mm-hmm. children not getting enough food and uh, clean water is definitely not not acceptable in this day and age. And when I started Look With Food, I was um, doing research on uh, poverty and hunger among uh, children. And I realized that it's also a huge problem in the U.S., which has just been camouflage. Mm-hmm. Um, in the U.S., you know, because the U.S. is viewed as the you know, first world nation, the most powerful nation in the world. But hunger has a different face here as opposed to hunger in a third world country. Mm-hmm. Given that I live here in the U.S., I just feel that it's only right to donate to local communities to help uh, children in the U.S. And no kid should ever go to bed hungry. That's why when I said Love With Food, is the mission of Love With Food is to help consumers fall in love with food and at the same time, shower your Love With Food because every box you get, you know that you're donating at least uh, a meal to a food bank in the U.S., and how we do it is we, we don't donate food. We donate a portion of the proceeds to a food bank. And have you met um, the kids who, who've positively impacted by, by, your, um, by your contribution? Um, we, we donate to food banks and also Feeding America. We leave it up to them to distribute the funds. Okay. So we don't have like direct connection to like the, real, the family that we're helping. But, you know, we as a company will volunteer at the local food bank mm. um, once a quarter. So it, it's great team building and it feels good. Um, what does your team look like? Um, right now, there are about 15 people on the team. They are very passionate about what Liquid Food stands for, and they're excited to work in a startup. It's very important for me that to hire people who believed in, one, working in a startup because you are making a difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't believe in wanting to make a difference, then it's okay to join a bigger company where mm-hmm. your contribution might not make a, a, a big impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, and that's that's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, people who join startup needs to have that hunger to make a difference, mm-hmm. uh, or that desire, mm-hmm. and that they are ready for chaos. Because um, I've worked in the corporate world, mm-hmm. and now I have a startup. By far, a startup is very chaotic. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. is that when we started? Is there HR policy? No, we'll like we'll figure it out along the way. <laughs> <laughs> You figure stuff out. It's just that agility, really. And um, yeah, and and you figure things out along the way. And the people who hire has to have the mentality that it's okay not to have set rules. We will figure it out along the way with you. Mm-hmm. If you come to a startup and expect that, 
oh, I'm expecting a, a great HR policy or um, expense reimbursement policy, mm-hmm. then then no, then we're not the right place because mm-hmm. all this all these things are being set up as we grow as a company. Mm-hmm. Um, so the people at hire needs to be flexible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, How do you yeah. hire people? What's your do you do you have a set list of procedures or um, is it gut instinct? That's a very good question. I would say at the end of the day, you know, after three and a half years, I have made good hiring decisions and I also have made very bad ones. And it's learning process. But at the end, I truly believe going with your gut is the best mm-hmm. way to go. And because you know, the business, from what I've gathered, is very customer centric. I guess there's a lot of focus on the customer experience. Uh, just try to to see how that would relate to to hires, you know. And so do do you do you think about customer experience? How these how how every new hire is going to impact on on customer experience and you know be the face of of the company while while you're hiring. Anyone that we hire needs to be passionate about love with food. They need mm-hmm. to live and breathe love with food, right? Mm-hmm. So whether you go to an event that's representing love with food, like a food festival, or to a job event as an engineer to hire other engineers, you need to be able to be proud of being your part of the team. So I would say one, you know, believing in the mission and being passionate about the company is definitely a must Mm -hmm. uh, because you are the face of the company. I might be the founder, but I'm not the only face of the company. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. What are your three indispensable tools for managing love with food? I'm not sure it's a tool, but one is I will have weekly meeting with every team mm-hmm. to get an update, to set plans. Mm-hmm. That that helps a lot to make sure that I'm always know I always know what's going on, and if if a particular department needs help, you know I'll step in to help. The weekly meetings help a lot. We use Trello mm-hmm. and to keep track of all the to dos and tasks and plans. Um, like for the holiday right now, we're actually planning for whole Christmas. Yes, um, Trello keeps everyone on the company in check to understand what's on their to-do and their responsibility for the next couple of months. Mm-hmm. And internally, we have built something. It's like a diary where you can record down what you've done for today. And it's a great way to, you know, if you have accomplished something, it's a great way to write it down and share with everyone. Mm-hmm. Um and for me, as a founder, it's a great way for me to see, to make sure that things are being done and no one's stepping on each other's toes. Mm-hmm. And it's a great way to look back, you know, for, for not just me, for the team member themselves to look back, like, in the last quarter, what have I accomplished? Mm-hmm. It gets so fast that you do a lot mm-hmm. and you don't remember what you have done. It's like, for example, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great way to look back every day, day by day, in the last quarter, what mm-hmm. what have you accomplished and, and you're proud of? Mm-hmm. I really like the diary thing. I really like that. That's quite interesting. That could be a SaaS app. <laughs> okay. That is one. Um, it's got idonethis.com. I done this. Okay. I'll, yeah. I'll and we basically built our own internally. Okay. And it's 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 great. When I do performance review, it's, it's a great way to look back so at fun. what someone has accomplished and um to date what has been your best mistake (laughs) by that that, i mean a setback that's given you biggest feedback the best mistake i think making the wrong hire Mm. early on Mm. making the wrong hire and understanding why i made the wrong hire and how the wrong hire actually will affect culture Mm. Not just myself, you know, how it affect the whole entire team. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes makes me uh, reevaluate how I hire people moving forward. Mm. And because, you know, it's people joining the team, it, it affects everyone, not just me. You know, in the startup world, you the rule is hire slow, but you need to fire fast. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, and as a founder, I have to make a lot of very tough decisions. You know, when it doesn't work out, I have to let someone go. And But letting someone go is not easy. It's emotional. And mm-hmm. how how does that impact the rest of the team is even worse, mm-hmm. you know. So I think the worst mistake is it's probably hiring. It makes me um, yeah. 
wiser. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And um, yeah, you're, you're dealing with emotions, feelings, and you know, and people at the end of the day. F- fully understand where you're coming from from there. Okay, next question is if you could choose a single book or resource that has made the highest impact on you and right. building your business and growth, which one would it be? I would say Startup CEO. Startup CEO. Yeah, I actually read that book twice. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, what periods of your your journey did you did you read it? Was it prior to twenty eleven when you? No, it's. I think I I read it when my team grew from five to ten within Mm. a very short amount of time, Mm. and you know managing a team of five people versus managing a team of fifteen, it's a very different ballgame. And one, I am very fortunate that, you know, our investors have been entrepreneurs before. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very close to one of our investors. He's basically like my coach, CEO coach. Nice. <laughs> because he's been there, he's done that. Mm. And some of the anxiety that I feel or frustration I feel. And, you know, it's always good to have someone to tell you it is normal what you're going through. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't freak out. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, Having someone to talk to is, is important. And to reading that book, uh, Startup CEO, is like a playbook of what you need to learn and what you need to do as a CEO. Because for that, that book, it says you are only a first-time CEO once. Hmm. So it's a great, I would say, it has a, it's a great um, tactical book for first-time CEOs mm-hmm. because you feel lost most of the time. <laughs> so it's a good playbook to have. Mm-hmm. I'm on the Amazon page and I will link to it. Um, it's it's by Matt Blomberg. Okay. Yes. Good stuff, good stuff, good stuff. Um, on a final note, I read your blog post about Lee Kuan Yew, quite touching, by the way. You talked about um, books you'd read about him. I, I just find him fascinating as a character, you know, building... Singapore from a third world economy third world to, to a first world economy in, in, in 40 years is just fascinating you did say you'd um, you'd read books about him which inspired you um, but you didn't quite mention them so, so what books were, were those all the books that he's written I've read it and you know I wanted to see his perspective from you know his point of view I you know being an entrepreneur I I probably can relate to a lot of um, other entrepreneurs and also to, to Lee Kuan Yew, like the the challenges. I'm sure he has way more challenges than a <laughs> startup founder. You know, he's leading a country. Right. But to put myself in his shoes, like he was a leader of the country, the challenges that he faces, the tough decisions he had to make. And one thing he said in one of the books that I read is, you know, you are the leader, um, you're not it's not about you winning the popularity contest. Mm. It's about you making the right decision in the long run for the greater good, right? Mm. But in the midst of it, you might seem like the bad guy. Mm. Mm. And I'm pretty sure every CEO out there would relate to that. Absolutely. (laughs) Tough decisions. Tough decisions, yes. Very tough decisions. And I'm amazed at his vision mm. and I only hope and wish that I have that kind of insights and vision for, for me and the company uh, because for him to, to see how he wants Singapore to be in 40, 50 years, mm. when, when, when he took over Singapore, Singapore was a third world country. We didn't even have clean water. Mm. And to have that very far-fetched vision, it takes a lot of confidence it takes a lot of imagination absolutely i mean formula one is is actually carried out in singapore in singapore city that can't even happen in london right so so think about it you know just think about the progress in terms of development in, in singapore Oh, it's, it's been a fascinating, fascinating talk. Um, I really, really have enjoyed it. Um, <clears throat> finally, could you let our audience know how best to, to reach out to you if they wanted to? Oh, great. Um, well, first, my name is Iwi. You can reach out to me at my email, aong at lovewithfood.com. Are you on social media, on Twitter? Or? Yes, I'm on Twitter. Um, sure. So uh, it's twitter.com slash Iwi, A-I- H-U-I. Okay, 
Well, you got you got IV. Well, <laughs> yeah. <Awesome. laughs> <laughs> On Facebook, it's the same too. Facebook.com wow. slash IV. Wow, yeah. You're an early adopter. Okay, it's <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show, IV. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much, uh, Kunlei. Thanks for the opportunity. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of 2X E-Commerce. To help you get more actionable insights and e-commerce growth hacks that will help you 2X your online retail business, hop over to 2xecommerce.com. It's a blog dedicated to e-commerce and multi-channel marketing run by the show's host, Kuhn Lay Campbell. 2xecommerce.com is packed full of articles and guides to help increase traffic to your store, increase repeat purchases, and average order value. Thanks for listening. Visit 2xecommerce.com. Wow.